Well, Pam, which way are you going? Left or right? Right, right. Ah, that's too bad. Why? Well, because it was a 50-50 shot on whether you'd be going left or right. You see, we're both going left. You could have just as easily been going left, too, and if that was the case, it would have been a while before you started getting scared. But since you're going the other way, I'm afraid you're going to have to start getting scared immediately. Do you expect me to talk? Welcome to episode 107 of Do You Expect Us to Talk? I'm Becca, and as always, I'm joined by the fast and speedy Dave and Chris. How are you guys doing? <laughs> Good evening, folks. <laughs> well, I, no, I just had flashbacks to the Superman episode where you described um, uh, Chris as faster than a speeding bullet, and I laughed <laughs> very childishly at that. Um, yes. Why? Um, whatever do you mean, David? I mean, I'm, I'm I'm getting older now. I should be slowing down, <laughs> both in absolute speed and also in staying staying power should be increasing. <laughs> I'll have to keep thinking about baseball and hoping for the best. I was just trying to figure out which uh, which one was fast and which one was speedy, but uh, are they two different, vastly different concepts? Not really. The no. speedy and the furious would, would sound a bit shit. As a <laughs> I was going to say, it's better than the fast and the furious. So. The speedy and the right browned off. <laughs> that would yeah. be like the British version, wouldn't it? <laughs> we'll cover those one day. Oh, dear. I was a bit in the new Tomb Raider movie where, like, he goes, How the blazer did you get here? And I just thought, Oh, that's like the most English thing ever. Yeah, clearly not the... written by anyone who's ever been anywhere near England. No, exactly. <laughs> Written what, by an what, American scriptwriter. Was it was it spoken by an actual Brit? Yes. Yeah. See, things like that. <laughs> Spoiler do, alert. Yeah, things like that do make you think. Like, could you not have mentioned the script? Like, actually, that sounds. Yeah, a could, bit... could the actor have gone like? I know you think we talk like that, but we don't. Not actually, really. we don't. <laughs> even if they are upper class. Mind you, I did date a woman once very briefly who when she was like shocked or stunned by something used to say crumbs, and I used to, <laughs> and I. Used just have to bite Crumbs. my fucking lip not to fall about laughing. <laughs> Crumbs, grommet. Yes. You know what? I think I, I, at times I do say that. I go, oh, crumbs. Well, if, if you, you know, if you're in certain yeah, but she would say certain company, like, you try not to swear. You know, she, she, that, was, that, she that, would say that. That's a go-to thing. Whereas, like when yeah, I no, say it, like there's element of shots, you know what I mean. You say, oh yeah, so and so out and they go crumbs. <laughs> <laughs> Better than going Christ, or you know. <laughs> You know, I was always worried. You know that things would get intimate, and I and I'd finish, and she'd go, "That, that was capital." <laughs> that was tickety boo. Fortun- fortunately, I'm not that good, so that wasn't ever going to happen. <laughs> what are we covering tonight, Becca? Well, as you may have guessed, we're not big fans of this film, so we're going to talk about other things. Um... <laughs> this, we're, we're the warning, this could be the shortest show we've ever done, bar like, or, bar or like the first likely, one. It'll be the most padded show of all time. <laughs> yeah. so, so, so look forward to, like, weather reports. <laughs> <laughs> it's currently snowing here in England. I'm thinking of buying a new car, I might chat about that a bit, you know, we'll see. Oh, new car? <laughs> Well, that's actually yeah, that's relevant. Yeah, okay. let's, 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 yeah. put the pad, let's put the padding in 
after we run out of things to say, though. Because I don't want a four-hour show because we did two hours first and realised we could talk for ages about it. That, that would be amazing. Out of all the shows we, that, that take us to four hours, it's fucking yeah. death-proof. Yeah. I don't think we've gone beyond three hours and two minutes so far. We for That was the third music episode, which is still the best of the music episodes. Um, I always joke about... I always joke about it to people like Tony Black online where, you know, they'll do an episode, they've gone, it's 50 minutes, and it's like, well, we, we guillotine at 182 minutes whether we're finished or not. <laughs> Here's the king of the short podcasts. Yeah, no, I know. I, I always feel uncomfortable when they're too, too short of podcasts now because I did, like, the first episode of Three Wise Men, and we stopped, like, we stopped after a certain question because it was about 43 minutes, and I'm like, aren't we oh. supposed to, like, talk for another couple of hours? This is so... <laughs> Anyway, what are we covering tonight, Becca? Anyway, as Chris just mentioned, um, it's time to take a ride with Kurt Russell and Hannah Tight as we review a Death Proof. Oh dear. Starring Kurt Russell, <laughs> Rosemary Gowan, Zoe Parfois, Dawson, Sydney Tamir Prottier, Vanessa Bluto, Tracy Thomas, Jordan Ladd, Michael and James Parks once again, and Eli Roth, if you can spot him, and many more, but I won't go on. How can uh, you written not and directed spot by Quentin Tarantino and released in 2007. Oh my yeah. god. A decade ago. Oh shit, was it? Yeah. Um, well, nearly cool. eleven years because not in this country, but in America, it came out around April '07. Came out somewhere around Easter. Yeah. We didn't. Get, we started getting them later in the year, but we'll come on to the because that was because the performance of the film. We'll talk about that a bit later. So, so this was uh, the this was originally tended as a double feature with uh, the Robert Rodriguez film Planet Terror. Yes, and it opened. I need to look this up because I've got a figure in my head that I don't believe. I cannot believe it would have done that badly. Um, uh, let me just have a look. I have a feeling. Let me just look at its right box office. It opened. Actually, I'm not far off. It opened at eleven and a half million for its opening weekend. Now they were expecting something like thirty. Um. So it came out and like fell below things like Blades of Glory, which was already out. Mm. So it it opened as uh, everyone was really wise after the effect uh, after the fact as well. Um, what had happened at the genesis of this film was very much like Robert Rodriguez and Quentin Tarantino, very good friends, don't live that far apart. Uh, Quentin's got like a screening room, he's got his own projectionist there, and all the rest of it, and he would host these like double bills. And he would put trailers in there, not fake trailers, but trailers between the features for other films and so on. Um, and they got talking about it. And I just feel like, it, it, again, we'll talk about it a lot in weeks to come with Tarantino, that there just aren't, there's no one saying no to him. Because this is just a real shit idea. You know, they were like, they had these crappy sort of grindhouse double double features of like, not overly great films that are sold as something a bit like in the fakes trailers. And when they come out, they don't deliver anything they're promising because they don't really have the budget. So any, all the effects are very Roger Cormany and, and all the rest of it. And they were like, what if we do it and we do deliver and we put all the scratches in and the missing reels and all the rest of it. And frankly, you are, you are only appealing to an audience that of people like Quentin Tarantino and Robert Rodriguez. I don't think there's mass appeal on that. And then when the film came out and bombed, people like Quentin were saying, yeah, I think we kind of mess people's evenings up because you've got two films and the trailers, and that's well over three hours, and people like to go to dinner in a movie. And, you know, we've sort of ruined the sort of dinner portion because the, the whole sort of movie's too long. 
And I just thought, well, there might be something in that, or it might just be your film is shit. <laughs> I, yeah, I'm, I have a hard time thinking that because a lot of films are quite long. There are, film, there are films that do well that are about three hours, like Titanic, for example. So I don't mm. think necessarily that's the reason. Just, you know, especially when you go and see a Tarantino film, I think you kind of have an idea what flavour you're getting with it. You know, it's not like a big sweeping epic. Uh, so maybe, it may, maybe. I think there's a couple of further problems with it. I mean, like I say, it's a very difficult film to sell because... You know, hey, it's, it's based shit, on these grinders, but it's on purpose. But, but, yeah, but but it's like, yeah, but it's also just as a concept. It's like, oh, it's based on these sort of B movie grindhouse, you know, double yeah. features. It's like the half the audience isn't even aware of the fucking concept because most people don't watch everything. You know what I mean? Mm. It's too much of a niche market, isn't it? It's too. There must have been a marketing issue with it as well because there were a lot of stories of people leaving after the first film, and I don't think that was just a, a quality issue. I think that was just, oh, film's finished. Yeah. So they didn't know it was a double feature. They they thought they were seeing a film called Grindhouse. You know, um, I, I I always I always wonder whether those stories are apocryphal because I can't imagine going into it and not knowing you're seeing a double feature. But evidently that's what happened. So what the Weinstein's did to try to sort of salvage things were sort of split them up, uh, clean them up, put a little bit of the sort of lost footage back in because the Grindhouse cuts are shorter, and we'll get onto that. And released them separately. So we got, I always thought we got Death Proof first. We didn't. We got Planet Terror in the autumn. And we got sort of Grindhouse, oh, sorry, we got Death Proof a couple of months later in this country. And it just ruined it for me as a whole experience. It's like, well, I've bought into what you're trying to do. What I thought of the end result will come to. But I've bought into what you're trying to do. I'm looking forward to it. And then I go and see the film. And I think that certainly... I can't remember how they were packaged with the trailers. I, I, I think I don't think Death Proof had any of the fake trailers. I might be wrong. So I went and saw an underwhelming second half of a double feature with a load of like unnecessary padding put back in. I was really disappointed with both of them, but at least Te Planet Terror was vaguely fun. And I, I, I'm not a grindhouse expert, but I thought Robert Rodriguez bought into what they were trying to do a lot more in some ways. But yeah, that's that's my sort of history with the film. I was just really pissed off. It was three and a half years by that point after Kill Bill 2, which as we found last week, I didn't enjoy. So we're like four years on from the last decent Tarantino film, in my opinion. And it was just this self-indulgent wankery. Not in the same way as some of the stuff we've got coming in weeks to come, where it's just too long. Mm. But just in terms of the whole exercise being like something people aren't going to be that fucking interested in Quentin, surely? What about you guys at the time? At the time, I mean, I was really looking forward to it because it was... Um... Probably the Kurt Russell element, I'd have thought, with you as well. Yeah, oh, oh, I think just in general, I think how I actually generally bought in the idea. I really liked the idea of like, oh, a double feature. That's a really cool way, cool thing Something to different do. as well, isn't it, Chris? Yeah, we didn't have that yeah. very much these and, days anymore, do we? And it looked kind of fun. And you know, obviously, it would be Tarantino Rodriguez. I was huge fans of them. So it was just like, yeah, of course, winner. That's going to be great. I can't wait to go and go to a cinema and see that. Uh, then we got denied it. <laughs> yeah, and then I was, yeah, then it was just like, oh, for fuck's sake. Split. Yeah. When they announced they were splitting up, I was I was kind of more annoyed by that. It's like, well, okay, I understand the fact that it bombed, but in a, in a way, I was like, no, stand your fucking ground. Like, you know, make your bet. You know, see it through to the end. Don't try and like recorrect your steps because I don't think that's 
that's really a good way to do it. I don't think that really solves anything. Um, You're advertising it's in trouble as well because we're yeah. in an era of the internet. People people can fucking read. They, yeah. You know, they can read that it's, like, gone wrong in the States and now you're trying to salvage it. Whereas, I think, if you'd stuck to your guns and put it out here, well, typically, actually, pound for pound, films have performed better here than they have in the States with Tarantino anyway. He's very, very popular in this country. Yeah. I I, I guess, I mean, I think he's, you know, sometimes he's got, well, I mean, come on, I mean, I don't think they would have been, at this stage, it would have destroyed their careers, they, you know, because it was, like, a, a bit of an experimental collaboration anyway so they would have just moved on to the next film and then that would have been it um but you know i i, I do think pro- probably in in hindsight they should have maybe i mean I don't, I, I don't know about the figures so i don't know whether it was like how many cinemas so maybe it was probably to put it on a limited screening so maybe maybe they did sort of did it more as like a an event type thing first mm. you know like but similar to like what he did later on with Hateful Eight, with the um... where he did the seventy yeah. millimeter release first. Yeah, or something along those lines, where you have like like a festival showings first, and get get the word around, kind of thing. It's like, oh shit, the, you know, he's done he's done this thing, and may and maybe like release the two films separately as a kind of as as a kind of alter alternate oh. kind of thing but if if you rather just see one or the other or you're interested in just Whereas they, they kind of did it the other versions, way around but... we got the two films separately you didn't even get like a home release from grinder mm. till 2010 yeah in this That's country a while. um so yeah the the whole thing pissed me off you know because the the thing is as well the end results weren't great at the time we'll talk about first reactions now in a minute but I felt like I'd been vaguely disappointed once in Planet Terror, although it, it was some fun, and I'm more positive about that film in some ways. And then I'd been massively let down by Death Proof, so I just felt like the whole thing, instead of just giving it its wide release and let's see how it did, it just got, the disappointment got sort of drawn out over several months. Yeah, You know, the whole thing came out in America in, like, April, I got a feeling Death Proof might have even been November and December or December this kind this side. I'm I'm not quite sure on that. So you know the better part of 2007 was this whole unfolding of of a of a self indulgent experiment that that undoubtedly failed. I, I must admit I didn't I didn't bother going seeing um, the both separate films. I I kind of I think I was like no I want to see how it was originally intended as a grindhouse double feature. That's the mm. way it was made. Um, and that's the way I, I kind of want. I want to see it first, and in a way, I kind of still stick to that. I, you know, they both work better together, that, or or in in their or in their uh, shorter formats, they work better than the They're certainly better in their shorter formats. We'll, yeah. we'll come to that in a minute. But I, you know, I, Tarantino very very good at self promotion. Sometimes it gets a bit much, but I, he is engaging, talking about his work, and he went on. And it, it may have been Jonathan Ross or something like that. Um, but he went on the sort of chat show circuit to promote his film. And he was asked what Death Proof was about. And he started explaining the plot of Death Proof. And the audience were laughing their ass off at him. And he and he kind of laughed along because I think he thought they were laughing with him. They weren't. They were laughing at him. So it was all kind of really ill-starred. This film had come out, flopped, been very badly reviewed. And years on, Tarantino describes it as his worst film but he says not bad for a left-handed effort 
And I'm thinking, well, Quentin, you put the pen in your left hand. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> you know, figuratively speaking. Don't you know, anything you've done to um, produce such a compromised product it is your own fault because, you know, we may have already had, you know, in that period, he might have been doing something else. Um, he's completely forgiven because of what, what he's done afterwards. But from my perspective, but, you know, when he says, oh, it was a left handed effort, I'm thinking, well, <laughs> perhaps just work with your fucking, you know, right with your right hand in future. I mean, that could be his kind of vague excuse of saying of like, yeah, well, you know, it's just me making an excuse that, well, I didn't really put that much effort into it. In a, mm. in, a, in, a, in a way to kind of make excuse for it rather mm. than like actually sort of just taking it on the chin. So, yeah, you know what, it didn't work this time. Becca, did, did you see them separately all together? Because I know eventually they had limited releases and stuff as a pair. Yeah, I think I went to one of those midnight screenings where you saw them as a double feature. Um, and I, yeah, was, this is obviously whilst I was at, um, what was I doing? I was doing something. Um, and I had work the next morning and I regret it. <laughs> well, you no, must I, be over it by now. You're not thinking, "Fuck me, that's just rude." I, I regret it. Eleven years God, old. I'm still tired. <laughs> I'm still not caught up. <laughs> <laughs> so I blame I blame QT for my Emmy. No, um, interesting talking about the critical reception of it, and also the the public popular reception. I seem to have this memory of um, of Planet Terror being the better um, the film that was um, more favorably received, but um, perhaps that's not the case. But I think, um, yeah, it was one of the, the films had been split up um, and it was kind of one of the few screenings where they were shown back to back, obviously with the fake trailers um, included in, in the screening. So that was, that was a bit of a treat. Um, I think I went to go and see this in Southampton. So that was an epic journey. Oh, no, that was it. Yeah, because a friend of mine was, obviously I'd graduated by then, um, and some friends of mine were, were just, you know, um, on the first year of uni. So I thought, I'll go to them and get some, you know, cheap tickets. So yeah, I went to go and see the double screening of that one. Um, yeah, it was very knackered afterwards. Obviously, grossed out um, by the first film, and then I think I must have fallen asleep halfway through. Um, but for some reason, I seem to remember, th you know, enjoying Death Proof a little bit more. I don't know why. Perhaps it wasn't as gory. I don't know. Um, obviously, it's still quite gory because he tries to ram people in with his cars. But um, a Tom Cruise would have set off at quite a fucking speed. <laughs> <laughs> Can't catch me. Um, but yeah, no, that's, that's kind of a binding memory. And then kind of watching it again today for this podcast, I was a little bit, as I say, well, shout out to Edgar Chapu, who also admits being very underwhelmed. I would have to say I agree with you, Edgar. Also a little bit underwhelmed. Um, Kurt Russell, yeah, Russell? Sean Connery alert. Um, Kurt Russell is probably <laughs> the best film thing in this film. A stuntman, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> Splendid stuntman, Mike. Yeah. Showy yeah. Bell, Rosario Dawson, <laughs> <laughs> Vanessa, Sh Sydney oh Protier, Sydney Protier. That sounds a bit rude. Sydney, yeah. What was her performance like? Total Sydney. <laughs> uh, yeah, okay. I'll try that again. Kurt Russell is the best thing in this film. There we are. I, I don't think. I mean, he is genuinely terrific, and it, and it's the one thing that he's wandered in from a different Tarantino film. He really has. He's very typical of a Tarantino character, and he and he fits very well, and he and he's obvious casting, you know. And if, he, he if wasn't that, the original casting though; he was uh, going to be Ricky Mook in the the stunt my mic. That would have worked. That would have been really, really good. I, that would have worked. I, I would have I think, seen I that being played differently, I, I though. Think it, 
I think it would have had a, an extra sort of dimension of sort of slight sleaze to it almost if it had been Mickey Rourke. Yeah, I, I can um, see. I can see as well. I can see Ricky Rourke. I I can't see. So I watched Death Proof now. I can't see Mickey Rourke working in the same way. But I imagine they would have been played a bit different. I can see Mickey Rourke doing like the. I'm a big brute, but I'm a big softy underneath. And then it turned out, you know, he's actually a lot worse than you. I think he would, he would have to almost undo the fact that I think you'd instantly be scared of him. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? He'd have to undo that and then rebuild it almost. Yeah. Um, so the Grindhouse experience then, the original versions of these films, they said um, they would watch a film and there'd be a missing reel and things like that. And they played into that. And Planet Terror had some fun with it. We'll talk a little bit about Planet Terror in a minute. Um, there's a missing reel in the Grindhouse version of Death Proof as well. Um, and they deliberately age the film. They do things like drag it around parking lots and things like that to really scratch it up. It was all kind of like physically scratched rather than yeah. digitally scratched as well, which yeah, I think is, is fantastic. Um, this plays much more into sort of Quentin's way of filmmaking because obviously... Um, as, as much as they're kind of simpatico as people and filmmakers, they've got very different approaches in that Robert Rodriguez is very digital and sort of pushing the envelope with technology, albeit low budget, whereas Quentin is very classical celluloid, really doesn't like the whole idea of his craft going digital and so on. Um, but what they what they did was, I think they start with, there is a trailer before the film, I think Machete might be before the yeah. first one. Mm-hmm. Um, Machete was is so they decided to make fake trailers. They were going to do it themselves, but then they sort of started talking to other filmmakers, and they ended up getting one from Robert Rodriguez himself. They got one from Eli Roth, one from Edgar Wright, uh, one from Rob Zombie. Yeah, and so you get Machete, which is Robert Rodriguez's before his own film, which makes sense. Now, again, years on, you might think that was genuinely a trailer for Machete. Well, Machete was made when the trailer got a certain reaction and he took that footage and expanded it effectively. Um, I like it as an idea. You know, this, you know, you think now you've got stuff like stuff like Hobo with a shotgun, stuff like um, new guns with big guns and all this almost ironic fucking ideas. You know, you've got like a very, really violent preacher played by Streech Marine in it and all the rest of it. I, I just think like a two minute joke is different than a fucking film. I don't even know why you made a film out of it. The fact that people respond to your two minute trailer just means your two minute joke worked really well. Um, but then you go into Planet Terror, which is a story uh, about and all I could think of because it had um, the, the Planet Terror story had it had Naveen Andrews in it. Yeah. Naveen Andrews, oh, the, yeah. Indy, uh, the sort of uh, From I, I, I'm assuming Indian. I've never seen Lost. I actually remember him from the Buddha of Suburbia on TV. No relation to me, I might add. No. Uh, no. Unfortunately. Or, and, and not heir to the Andrews Liver Salts Empire. No. Um, <laughs> Andrews Liver all, all I thought when I saw him was, why didn't they fucking cast him as Khan? When I watched Planet Terror this time, I thought, why didn't they cast him as Khan? That would have been like... So well, he, he, he would have been a bit too young at, uh, in uh, 82, I think. Uh, yeah. uh, I meant... <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> the biggest dictator the guys uh, the world's ever known. All right, admittedly, he's like 13. He's 12. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so, but, I'm not born yet for this film. But this is, this is basically a story about sort of a, a pathogen that gets into the air and makes everyone into sort of these decaying, almost zombie characters. Is it the Novichok virus? Is that what it's called? No, that's the, that's 
I don't know. That's going to age this podcast. You can edit that part, but that's the um, uh, that's the the nerve agent that. Oh, I didn't. I didn't even. They brought down the Russian spy. So you know, the Planet Terror is a fair bit of fun, and there is a bit of crossover between the two films because you've got Marley Shelton in it as a as a doctor. You see her in in Death Proof. You've got um, Michael Parks. Uh, again, oh, yeah, there's a big crossover. Oh, also, Rose McGowan as well. Rose McGowan's playing a different character though. I'm talking just, about. I mean, you've got sim- you know similar four actors who are going to cross over. <laughs> yes, what I'm saying is there's people appearing. There's a couple of people playing the same character in the two films. You're... Uh, you got Michael Bean. I'm always really happy to see Michael Bean. I think I cannot believe that guy didn't have a bigger career than he had. Um, although he was in some absolute bona fide classics, but only sort of a couple of them, and not uh, not quite the career. Is Rebel Rodriguez? Uh, he is the son of Robert Rodriguez. I thought he was. So, uh, no, hang on, I'm looking looking at the wrong one, actually, because it says born 1999. That definitely wasn't that guy. I'm looking at Tony. That's the wrong one. El Rey. Yeah, that's... Freddy Rodriguez. Freddy Rodriguez. Is he related? He must be. I don't think so. He's not. It's coincidence. Okay. I think... Um, If he is, that's news to me. Um, But that might... But if he was, that might explain why they cast him, because it's just like... He's crap. But anyway, you've got Rose (laughs) McGowan, who's great. I, I can see why she didn't have an amazing career here, but she's really seated, suited to B-movie. Um, Josh Brolin is really great. I, I, think, I don't think, think I'd seen him in an awful lot before this, to be honest. Jeff Fahey, Bruce Willis has a small... Yeah, Jeff Fahey's in it. Obviously, 80s horror yeah. star. Bruce Willis in it, doing what Bruce Willis does, which is not a lot. Just playing himself. Um, Fergie's in it, Stacey Ferguson from oh, um, R.I.P.s, who's just eye candy, really. Tom Savini, Sex Machine from, um, <laughs> from, from from Dust Till Dawn. From, 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 from. Dust Till Dawn. <laughs> Quentin's in it himself, playing rapist number one. <laughs> um, rapist whose balls literally lifetime. drop off. Um, yeah. Well, uh, well, you know, it really embraces sort of some really silly cliches, like uh, they all hate the guy till they like the guy, and that's all in the missing reel. When it comes back after the missing reel... This guy who's like an absolute outlaw for some reason is now like really popular. You've got this talk of the barbecue recipe, which Michael Bean's character wants from his brother who runs like this sort of steakhouse place. Um, It was some fun. What did we make of Planet Terror? I know we're not here to review it tonight, but obviously the first half of of two films that were meant to go together. Uh, Yeah, I I think it's the one who braced the, what audience really wanted. It just had a lot of gore. There was a lot of action. Uh, mm. A lot of people in it, so it was just like very kind of throwaway, gory, kind of very, very exploitative, but kind of fun. Kind of, it, it has a lot of dark shit in it. Like I, the, the funny enough, the thing that makes me winces the most is like the hand in the car door. That's make that's really grim. I wasn't bothered. All the bits that bother get uh, uh, Rebecca doesn't bother me, but the hand was really like fucking hell. When yeah. She broke the wrist. And you just think, oh, yeah. no, the heels. You just think, oh, no, this is going to go wrong. Oh, and it does. It's like, oh, God. Um, yeah, it, it, I mean, it, 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 it definitely picks on the exploitation bits because you've got Marley Shelton treating on her husband with a fit woman. Yeah. That's really like women together. You know, it's, it's a film of that sort of <laughs> genre would play on that, definitely. Um, you've got really, really cheap gore effects, which is like why I don't find it troubling at all because it looks like it was made by like a Roger Corman type. Um, it's funnier. It's the funnier of the two films. You've got like 
really weird shit happening and Josh Brolin just sucking on a lollipop and looking nonplussed about it all. You've got... It's pacey um, as well. I mean, in comp- in compared to it's Death It's fast. Um, and not only that, you've got little things like Freddy Rodriguez riding that tiny little bike at one point. <laughs> yeah. It's funny it. and it never loses its pace and it never forgets what it's trying to be. Well, when we talk about Death Proof in a minute, it, it kind of forgets deliberately, I think, what genre it's in about... 60% of the way through. Yeah, I think it's a bit totally confused about what it is. I mean, I think even in terms of, like, it's missing real, I mean, Planet Horror seems to use that as more of its advantage, like, with the whole, like... Well, it plays get, it get all, a uh, Characters are in all together, but it's also, like, works out in a kind of convenient that doesn't have to explain it. It just goes, oh, it's in the missing real. <laughs> Freddy Rodriguez is, like, known to the police and not fucking popular by any means, and yeah. he's seen as this dangerous outlaw, not which is trusted. miscasting, but at the same time, if you're making some cheap exploitation, you use who you can get. Yeah. You know what I mean? You would use who you could get. The fact that it's all it almost works that he's not quite the right casting. And he, he looks... I don't think he is, but he looks the wrong age for Rose McGowan, even though he probably isn't. Rose McGowan has always been... I, I've got to be careful what I say here because of what's been happening to her lately. But she's always played to, a bit sleazy to me as a, as a character actress. So I think it kind of works for this sort of thing. Um... And like the missing reels, brilliant because you got Freddie Rodriguez. They they won't let him out of his handcuffs. They won't let him do anything. And when, when it comes back after the missing reel, everything's on fire. And they were like, "Wow, I didn't know." Yeah, I know. <laughs> it doesn't tell you what they didn't know. And suddenly they love him and stuff. I I, I think give him all the guns. <laughs> give him all the guns. Uh, don't worry, I'm covering you. And uh, it's actually a lot of fun. And Rose and and they look like they're having fun. I mean, Rose McGowan in this just looks like she's having a blast. When when you think who she's working for, ultimately on this film, I'm I'm kind of pleased she was so empowered in this, and I'm pleased that he forced her into this role because obviously it was for the Weinstein's who tried to nix her. So yeah, that was Planet Terror. We come out of Planet Terror and we get another load of um, trailers, and and they were the best bit of the experience. I was so gutted when they went because I think I'd seen them all online before yeah. I went to Death Proof. So what have we got? Werewolf Women of the SS first, isn't it? Yeah. Which, Which is, is the Rob, Rob Zombie, Zombie <laughs> starring Nicolas Cage as Fu Manchu. <laughs> that seems like his dream role, though, isn't it? It's like, I want to see a movie with Nicolas Cage as Fu Manchu. Well, he's had tax problems in the last 10 years, so he'd do it now. <laughs> I'm sure if he did it now, he would need, you know, he obviously needs the money. Yeah, I mean, he's been doing anything in the last 10 years, Nicolas yeah, Cage, that's why he's just because he needs to. Yeah. I mean, he always had iffy... Well, I say iffy tastes. You pick the best... I mean, Nicolas Cage, even in, in the last decade, not the last decade now, but I mean the 2000s, you can cherry-pick some incredible stuff he did. But it was always, like, around a load of other crap as well. So Nicolas Cage on a film poster wasn't like, oh, that'll be good, because it probably won't. But he does take chances, though, Nicolas Cage. I mean, that's the, if there's one thing he can say, it's like he just, he just, just does whatever he fancies. He doesn't sort of go... He doesn't really have like, oh, that'll be one for me, like one for the studio. He's very much like, no, oh, yeah, sure, why not? His agent's going, no, Nicholas, you don't I'll take a point on it. Why like, not? Screw it, I'm going to do it. But yeah, it, joking aside, he's had some tax issues and, and money issues yeah, yeah. and all the rest of it. Very similar to what you read about Johnny Depp now being, you know, suing his agents and they're saying, but Johnny, you spent three hundred grand in a month on wine or something, you know? Mm. Um, he was spending a lot might of money. Might have been on to, wine. Might have been on other things. Well, I think it was 30000 in a month on wine, actually. Yeah, so, um, But, um, 
you know, and he was saying it's an investment, and he said, but you're drinking it all, Johnny, you know what I mean? Um, but, you know, um, so we, you've got Werewolf Women of the SS starring Rob Zombie's wife, um, whose name escapes me now, Sherry, Sherry Moon Zombie. Um, this was quite, a, I thought this was quite a funny trailer. Just yeah. again, the whole exploitation angle. Fit women and Nazis and werewolves and Nicholas Cage's hey, Boo Manchu. Manchu, yeah. Um, What's the second one? Is the second it's one don't. don't? Yeah, right. This is Edgar Wright's, and the idea behind this is uh, again, a, a standard audience wouldn't get this, and I wouldn't have without being told. Which means the end result doesn't play as well for me. A lot of people say don't's the best trailer of the lot, and it isn't to me. I quite like don't because I sort of don't get the joke. The joke is <laughs> no pun intended there. The the joke is though that um, you had uh, you would get British films or something like that packaged with a different name usually a really short name and they cut it so no one speaks so u.s audiences don't pick up it's british i think it's more a case it's like foreign like an italian or something there where they yeah, it was like, like yeah italian, like jello aspects to yeah it as well, um, like the lighting uh, used and... he definitely picked up he, that was definitely the joke though though it would apply to foreign films as well got yeah. quite a cast don't doesn't it oh yeah jason isaacs yeah uh, Ralph Stoll, jason isaacs. uh obviously yeah. uh simon pegg and uh nick frost are there uh, yeah. Katie Melia. Katie Melia, yeah. Yeah. Lucy Punch is there. Uh, yeah, the stuff the stuff the stuff with um the shot of Nick Frost is quite unsettling. <laughs> That's a bit dodgy, <laughs> I must say. Yeah. You're um, and then is it Thanksgiving? Yes, yes. Eli Roth. Eli Roth. Yeah, it's Eli Roth. Yeah, yeah basically Halloween. Yeah, like the, but... the, yeah, there hasn't been like a Thanksgiving horror film. Why not? Now there is. Well, it'll probably be a proper turkey to us, will you? <laughs> um I this was probably, this and Machete are probably my favourite two of all the trailers. Just as trailers, I don't particularly want to see the film, mainly because of Eli Roth shit. I'd probably see Don't and Thanksgiving, even though I'm not a big Eli Roth fan. Well, it's just, it's um, just, just a because bit, it's a horror film set at Thanksgiving, you know. It's just deliberately trying to, I mean, they deliberately made every shot, like, as action-packed as they could. Well, and they also, I mean, you had a cheerleader dancing, jumping up and down on a trampoline topless. and then landing on a knife. Oh. Yeah, top, and it's just like... It's meant to be. Well, exactly. Um, That's the point of it. And then they, and then they served the Thanksgiving turkey, and it was a cooked human being. Oh, there was a, was there some like after shot of somebody like boning a turkey or something? It's the last yeah. thing he sees. He's just there, like just <laughs> fucking sort of like a cooked head of someone or something. Yeah, it's really fucking. Oh my god, rancid. And I think that was it, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, else? Thanksgiving is the is the last one. I mean, Thanksgiving mm. is basically like the rip off of Halloween with a little bit of Texas Chainsaw. Yeah. That's yeah. on the home release. I did, I did read somewhere Hobo with a Shotgun was on some screenings of it, and yeah. very like Shetty well, yeah, they did that to a film afterwards. Like yeah, um, which, which I thought was terrible. It. By the way, I, I really did not like Hobo with a Shotgun. But there you so are. that was that. So as an experience to this point, all good fun, I imagine. Well, I imagine I've seen it, but obviously I knew the two films separately. And then we move on to Death Proof. The cut that's the two cuts are different. There's about 15 minutes between the two in length, maybe 20 minutes. Yeah, I think it's longer. I mean, I think it's about 90 minutes. The uh, the grindhouse one. Yes. Uh, and it's about nearly two hours. It's so, 1:53 on the version I watched tonight yeah. on the on the sort of full version. Uh, most of the differences come in a couple of places actually. Um, the story is that. Kurt Russell is somebody who needs basically car crashes to get himself off, effectively, almost sexually. Um, he follows one set of girls, we'll go into this in more depth in a minute, and he kills them. 
and then he follows another set of girls and bites off more than he can fucking chew there. Now, <laughs> in the full version of the film, there are when he meets the second set of girls, there's much more of him following them mm. and, you know, getting photos of them. We see all of that in the full cut. Second thing is in the Grindhouse film, um, I, I'm not quite sure in the Grindhouse version, I'm not quite sure where she goes uh, to get off with that guy in his car for a bit. I don't think that's there. And also the lap dance is cut out and fair that enough. That's quite a long scene as well, isn't it? Fucking pointless as well, but we'll come mm. to that. Um, definitely with Death Proof, it starts off with um, some really sort of appropriate music that I really like, that joke of renaming films. So it comes up as Thunder, you know, Kurt Russell in a Thunderbolt and then quickly Death Proof over the top of it. <laughs> um, but the first set of w women you've got all the scratches and editing errors and all the things that are built in very early. Cause when it starts the sort of Rosario Dawson section, if you like, there's a bit that's black and white and then it goes to full color. And then quite quickly, all the grindhouse touches are dropped and it's actually like pristine film really yeah. well shot. Yeah. And it's almost like he couldn't bring himself to have all that shit over this action sequence. He's so proud of, but, um, so is that the reason why? So basically, he's, he no, lost... I, I, he's never said, but it's just quite clear. It's about sixty percent of the way through the film that all of a sudden you're not really watching a grindhouse the same way. Because I, I I picked that up as well. I mean, I don't. It's not as obvious watching the grindhouse cut, mm. uh, but it's just, it, it, it's, it's just odd. I mean, you think he just ditched that for the the rest of it? Then in that case, if we're just going to do the full film, then just ditch the grindhouse effects, and yeah. then, and then. And then just leave the grindhouse effects for actual grindhouse. But he didn't. It's yeah. the same in both versions. So let's let's start with what we've got. It's uh, some women basically driving towards a bar. This is set in Austin, Texas. Yes. Um, one of them, and you keep seeing them on sort of billboards. One of them is like a radio DJ, the one played by Sidney Poitier's daughter. Yeah. And they're basically just going out. They're going away for like the night to some lake or something, and they're just going to go like drinking first. Yeah. And they talk about getting weed as well. And and you could almost stop describing the plot there, but we're going to have to say more. They're being followed by this guy we later find out to be Stuntman Mike. There's a certain sort of... It's shot with a little bit of sort of... Every time his car appears, it's a bit portentous, certainly. Mm. He's got photos of them as well, so he, he's clearly sort of been looking at them for a while. They go to two different bars, which I've never always picked up, actually, but I definitely picked it up today. They go to two different places. Um, that makes it all and, more creepy that he's kind of stalking them. I just... I don't know what Quentin was thinking, because if I was sat next to these women in a bar and they were talking about the stuff they were talking about, I don't even think I'd be interested in earwigging. Yeah. It, it's just fucking bollocks. You've got, um, which one is it? It's uh, it's uh, Butterfly. She She's wanting to meet this guy. I think it's her. It might be Sydney Potter. Uh, I forget which character. One of them is wanting to meet a, bar, a guy called Chris Simonson, because we see him in the fucking phone for some reason. We even have to, <laughs> we even have to watch a text. It, I thought it was a joke when I first watched it. I'm sat in the cinema watching a very slowly text on a 2007 pre-smartphone phone. She hasn't got predict that phone. <laughs> no predictive text or anything. She's doing it the long-winded way. <laughs> and we have to watch her put four exclamation marks on and stuff like that. And he, I, I don't, I think he doesn't turn up or something like that. So it goes for her. She, she can't wait to see him to, you're an asshole. 
And it's just, I, I don't get any of this. I don't get why we're fucking interested at all. Their whole conversation is bollocks all the way through this Yeah, bit. it doesn't help that they're not entirely likeable, particularly the um, Jungle Julia, the Sydney Poitier character. She's just a bit obnoxious. I, yeah. I, you, know, do you know what I mean? Just like, not, they're not people you really care spending time with. I mean, at least with... So I kept thinking about the scene in Pulp Fiction with Jules and Vince, Vincent in the, in the car where they're just randomly talking shit. And it's fun to listen to. Here, it's it, just like... It's just a fun fiction. conversation delivered by two really good actors who have interpersonal chemistry. You know what I mean? And they're telling us stuff we don't know. How interested you'd be, I don't know. But it's yeah. like, you know what a burger's called there? It's like, oh, I didn't know that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Whereas just, it's all relevant stuff as well. I mean, maybe like, maybe a few things pay off, but it's not really stuff you generally miss from the plot. But either they're talking about guys, uh, weed, uh, and they're... They're overexcitable as well, so lots of whoops and fucking mm. singing and shit, and it's all really tiresome. It, it's really horrible, actually. <laughs> um, I mean, it doesn't help in, in the in the first one because I feel like that scene's longer. It just seems more drawn out. It and feels it's just like... longer. There's, there isn't the same action to pay it off because it's meant to shock you, yeah. so you can't have the same sort of build up there. But even some of the dialogue, because Tarantino's in it, and he's fine for the bit he plays. He just plays a bomb, and it's no big deal. Mm. But you've got um, Rose McGowan at the bar as, I forget what she's called, but it doesn't really matter. She's wearing a blonde wig. She looks very different from Cherry Darling, the character she plays in the first film. Yeah, they deliberately styled her up. So she is, I mean, obviously playing a different character, but so she looks very different <laughs> as well. As well, I suppose. But she's a bit more naive, bar, isn't she? She's a bit more like she a... comes, You know, but he sends, over, yeah. he sends over for the girls some chartreuse for them to drink. And then he comes, he sits down and it's like post time. Well, I remember... George Clooney saying that and then they drank it and then it was like is that a tasty beverage or is that a tasty beverage that's fucking Jules's line from Pulp yeah. Fiction none of it feels it just feels like they're writing any old shit and again we keep watching them go outside and talk about whether they're going to get in the car with a guy whether that other guy is screw him or not te- texting this bloke and I just don't care and, and it's cool like majorly like, fails the Bechdel test yeah haven't you got e- Eli Roth like just sort of just yeah, talking up. about like Dilby getting them too drunk, so they have to or, or something like that. And you just there's no payoff for that whatsoever. There's either. no payoff for that at all. And it's like it's well, basically like when when guys when in this film like when men are talking about women, basically it's like are you going to do them? Are they going to do them? Are you know don't get too drunk, otherwise you won't get screwed or whatever. And likewise, when you've just got women talking about men, it's just that what really upsets me about this film. It's like bloody hell, really. But it's yeah. Just, yeah, there's a lot of padding going on, and yeah, I would agree with what you said like earlier in the podcast about how um, the plant terror aspect. Robert Rodriguez seemed to be more into it, and he was kind of more sort of behind it, um, in in what he was trying to send up within the grindhouse genre. Whereas Tarantino just he's just like I'm just going to do this, as I say, like you know, a very landed way, um, more half-assed. Um, there are nice nods to the to that side of the genre. But a lot of this stuff is like padding. Um, I think by left-handed, he 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 means he, he's handicapped by the format. Yeah, and like, yeah, he's obviously he's got parameters within which he can work. And, yes, and and there are there are limitations for that. That's fine. That's sort of genre, can't speak it <laughs> genre-related sort of limitations. Um, but again, that's no excuse really. I always thought it was like compromised by the fact that they had to like split the both thing those films up and then. Like and, and and like and again pad it out unnecessary. I think I think 
I think if Tarantino was honest with himself, he, he would probably say the Grindhouse cut is the preferred cut. Really? Yeah, I mean, he made comments about he didn't even cut it to the bone, he cut it past the bone. Like, that almost implies he's taken out some vital stuff. I'm sorry, when you put all the stuff back in, it's not any fucking... It's worse. Yeah. It really is. I mean, funnily enough, I watched the two films separately, enjoyed Planet Terror a bit more on first viewing because it is more fun. Then I wa- But I hated Planet Terror. Uh, sorry, Death Proof. Then when I watched them together, because I bought the Grindhouse version, uh, when I watched them together, it was a much better experience and I kind of enjoyed it. This time, I almost had the opposite experience. And it isn't because they're better in their longer cuts. It's because already, having seen them a couple of times, I've seen these films enough, frankly. So in the Grindhouse cut, it felt interminable because it was like three hours long, the whole thing. Three hours, 11, 12, mm. something like that, the whole thing. Um, and so I got very early into Death Proof and I was like, I don't really want to watch this anymore. <laughs> Whereas about three nights later tonight, I've sat and watched just death proof by itself and i had a better time not a good time but i had a better time because i hadn't already watched like an hour and 40 minutes of crap mm. um but yeah i mean it's just very very tiresome and, and the only bit i enjoy in any of this is um they say very early in the film that um they put the word around that if you go up and recite this poem and call her butterfly because that's not a real name but real name something else okay. arlene i think um if you go up to her and say this she'll give a lap dance if you're the first. He goes up and says this to her, Kurt Russell. Uh, but he does like a little bit of an impression of... Um, John Wayne. John Wayne. Oh, and he's, yeah. And he's actually... He's creepy and charming at the same time in a way that perhaps Mickey Rourke wouldn't have been able to do. And I was just sat watching him thinking, you are so much more talented than anything else in this section of the film. <laughs> he is, isn't he? Yeah. He's, yeah, he's, yeah that's why It's almost like he's with a bunch of non-actors. I mean, the only one, the only one that really stood out to me was Jordan Ladd because she looks like a mum. She looks like Cheryl yeah, Ladd. Yeah, she does. Who was in a lot of te- directed TV shit herself, to be honest. I mean, I've got a fun fact about her coming up later in the show. Cheryl Ladd. I mean, for those of you who don't know her, to give you an idea of the sort of film she would do, I always used to say when when Erin um, Brockovich won the Oscars, you know, for like Best Actress, Best Film, whatever it won. I always said that it was a TV film just elevated by like a bigger cast. I think Albert Finney was in it and obviously uh, Julia Roberts. And I always said, actually, it belongs on TV with Cheryl Ladd in it. Um, That's the sort of shit she'd make kind of just vaguely worthy TV bollocks. But she was a known actress. And obviously Jordan Ladd looks a lot like her. Mm. She really Uh, does look like her mum. She looks the split. She looks like exactly like her, almost like. Yeah, it is really, really quite eerie how similar she looks. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it, it's... Um, so, yeah, and of course, in the full cut, she does the lap dance for him. It's and an I, epic lap dance. Oh, my God. It goes on. It goes for, on forever. Oh, the song's good. Yes, it's a good song. Um, I, like, I like the shot where he goes I, like I that. don't... I, I, I must make this clear, and I've said it a couple of weeks ago, I'm not fussed about seeing nudity in films. If I want to watch fucking nudity, I can find it elsewhere. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's not that I want sex in this film. I think Tarantino's career has been better for like staying away from that, to be honest. Mm. But I don't understand the concept of a fully clothed lap dance. I, I never have. Particularly Maybe because there's no as sexy a, otters. Well, what's the fucking point? <laughs> what is the point? Sexy I'll do otters. a lap dance for you. Well, I'll get vaguely close to you and that's about it. I think it's pretty cool. Like, there's a shot where it goes like literally up the list of what well, I went up the list <laughs> up the list of songs, um, and that's a fun scene to kind of stop and do it frame by frame and spot all the songs. But also, I've got another fun fact about that 
um, about the jukebox coming up later in the programme. Oh, that phone as well, the ringtone, one of them. Oh, God, that's so annoying. Got, twi- got twisted nervous, their ringtone. Um, which is fine because it's calling back to his own filmography because we are in the movie movie universe as evidenced yeah. by old McCall being in it. Yeah, definitely. Also, uh, one of the cars is just like the, the bride outfit in Kill Bill. Yeah. Just to much. make that clear again, for those of you who haven't listened to earlier episodes or just pick and choose why you would pick Death Proof of all of the Tarantino things to listen That's the one I want to listen to. Um, the movie, the, the theory is that Tarantino has his own movie universe, i.e., Characters are related to characters who were in other films, occasionally, you know, like Vincent Vega and Vic Vega and Reservoir Dogs and so on. Then you've got, um, you just get, but then you've got characters, even when he does it in a different time, they might be related to later, to either later characters from either his films or someone else's. Um, Broomhilda in uh, Django Unchained is meant to be the grandmother of Shaft, John Shaft from the Shaft films. His films are connected, but within that, you get films that are movies from that universe so i.e characters like vincent vega if he went to the cinema would be watching stuff like kill bill and death proof so they are not from his movie universe they are from the movie movie universe we explained that a few weeks ago these are definitely from that movie movie universe uh which makes me worry because basically his movie characters are watching a lot of shit films aren't they (laughs) (laughs) might explain Um, a lot though <laughs> so yeah, you know, this goes on for I can't remember at what point in the film in either cut we leave the bar. Um it Rose McGowan goes with him, he he's a stuntman, hence the name Stuntman Mike, he's explaining this car is death proof, which means it's basically strengthened and fitted for big, big crashes pre CG mm-hmm. in cinema. Um but it's only really to protect the driver and he's got her in the passenger seat. And he goes to chase these women to basically smash into them to kill them. That's all this has been about all evening. And I don't know how far we we are into the film at this point, but it just seems ludicrous for the amount of plot we've just discussed. Well, about halfway through. I mean, we have missed talking about... It's quite a short film, yeah, Tarantino. We have missed talking about Kurt Russell eating nachos. Um, quite yeah. messily. Yeah, he almost like, oh, God. Wipe your chin off, man. And then he does. <laughs> you're like, oh, thank God for that. Yeah, but it is kind of like a gross introduction. But the film does come alive as soon as he's like actually in, starts being in it. It's like, oh, thank you, like a natural lead. We can making some actual fucking talent like, <laughs> on screen. You know, yeah. it's not that the women are that bad. They're just not that good either, and they're not film stars. Any of them. They're not given uh, anything. It... The, the, I think the character, the characters aren't. We aren't being given anything to root for. As I said with like Jungle Julia, we're just like, I don't care. I don't like you. I really don't give a shit mm. about any about what's going on here. And it's so. Con- I mean, they come off as self-absorbed people. So we're supposed to be interested in their texts to guys. Mm. No. I, I just, you know, it would have been better if it had been a smartphone a couple of years later. But Quentin Tarantino fails the Bechdel test. Texting so slow. Do you exp- sorry? The Quentin Tarantino failing the Bechdel test. No, they he passes the Bechdel test quite comfortably in this film. The women do sit around and have conversations that aren't guys. Certainly in the second section. Most of the time, they don't. Yeah, but they don't have to most of the time to pass. No, the Bechdel yeah. test. but they're talking about like doing it and all that kind of stuff. Um, I don't know. But they aren't talking about the lead guy. This film passes the Bechdel test quite comfortably, hmm. but that it shows you what a flawed... It's useful. I think the Bechdel test is quite a useful snapshot of where are we, hmm. but it's also flawed because you go, oh, it passes the oh, Bechdel yeah, test. Oh, yeah, it's, no, it's, it's, not, it's not perfect by any means. Characters. And it doesn't because 
the women are self-absorbed twats, and in the second section, they don't talk like women. And I don't mean they aren't talking about fucking embroidery. I just mean that they aren't talking about anything. I believe women could be interested in cars. I just don't believe they would talk about it like that remotely. But we'll my, come to that in a minute. My, my, my thing on the, the Bechdel test is, but essentially, I could just write any script I want, and then go like, will it pass the, uh, the test? No? Okay, well, I'll write two, men, two women, name them, and in a random scene... And then have them say a brief conversation that's not about man. Okay. And they'll say, yes, you pass. Yeah, it's, it's completely arbitrary, but as I say. I, I wouldn't say it means fuck all, but I would agree. It's extraordinarily no, but in terms, flawed. In terms of the principle, if, if I deliberately wanted to, I could literally just like persuade it. and then. But you could pass it in the most fucking misogynistic way, yeah. film you yeah, like. Yeah, in a really kind of very slight way. Yeah. Um, what does bother me is in some films, it's almost... It's almost failed taunting the audience. It's one of the big problems I've got with Birdman. Birdman's a really shit film. I, I don't get all the. And I can. We'll talk. Well, I've talked about it on a podcast with Chris, Chris a while back. But there's one scene in that film that has two women in it by themselves, and they just get off with each other. <laughs> <laughs> Which is just like I, I'm sorry. Even with that my, neither passes nor fails. Even with my mentality and sense of humour, I was actually quite almost offended by it. I was almost like that is fucking like ridiculous. Um, but there you go. Um, so the so they leave the bar. Uh, Rose McGowan is immediately terrified because it's quite clear when, when that they turn a certain way at a junction. Well, he and states she, it, doesn't he? He goes like, you "Just you're going to have to start getting frightened or scared immediately." Yeah. Um, and again, they're in the car, and it's just there's just something about these women, you know. Vanessa Felito's character's got a leg hanging out the window, or, or is it Sydney Potty? I get those two mixed up. Yeah, even it's uh, Sydney Potty. She, like. She's always got a leg out the window. And... Yeah, I just feel like put yeah. your fucking leg. How are you going to lose it, aren't you? <laughs> it's not that she'll lose it. I just think it's I don't know. There's it's just silly. something a bit like fuck off about all of them. The woman driving the car we haven't seen all the way through, <laughs> which is kind of funny. Mystery. But they have been for her, and then he just drives the car straight at them. They, they, he's got his lights off. They're going quite fast because it's an empty road. They think, and then he goes up to maximum speed right at them, switches the lights on at the at the last minute, hits them, and then we just see four we see four repetitions of it or three repetitions, so four occasions of it. So we see what happens to each of the four. Mm. Um, it's I like think... sort of like it's like a kill, isn't it? So it's like okay, this this what happened to them, this what happened to them. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Basically, the driver just basically just gets a bit crunched, and you see basically glass coming at her. Uh, Sidney Poitier's leg just comes clean off. I don't know if that would or could even happen, but that's what happens there. Jordan uh, Ladd is, yeah, Jordan gets, Ladd is thrown through. from the car immediately. Um, and Vanessa Felito just basically gets a tyre in the face. Yeah, she, no, um, she, she gets like, she, she gets like uh, dragged back. You see her body fling off, but her face basically gets like taken off. By off. The yeah, she yeah. gets the brunt of it, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, and that's that. They end, he ends up in a hospital. It's a hospital that um, uh, Marley Shelton works in, one of the stars of uh, Planet Terror, playing the same person. Her father is Earl McGraw. So Earl McGraw's there with uh, whatever, J uh, Edgar McGraw, the, yeah. the, the son. And the son number one. Which is just, and again, if this was a proper Tarantino film, I don't think the exposition would be as lazy. You've just got Earl McGraw with no proof or evidence or thought at all, just suddenly going... Yeah, he killed them. It, it's vehicular homicide. I can't prove it, but... I, ca I can't prove but it. there but, it is. But I need to say it to the camera. <laughs> so... 
And yeah, I need to explain to the audience what exactly is going on. And what... <laughs> yeah. um, well, why that probably gets off on it. <laughs> uh, it's the only this way you can, he like, likes to do it. It's the only way you can like spill his goo or something. <laughs> it's a horrible <laughs> way of putting it. But the, but the... I know it's not the nicest substance. But, but one of the um, <laughs> one of the, one of the good things about um, the way the the grindhouse cut did it was I noticed the the overlay at the end of Michael Park's explaining it back to actually. Uh, when it cuts to the the second round of girls, when you actually see see him uh, taking photographs of of them, like like walking in a parking lot, it, uh, you know, has a nice transition and it's like yeah. uses time effectively. Whereas well, it's quick, whereas in the full cut, it, 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 it goes, away it stays, that, and then he and pulls then, it in the car, and then he yeah. watches them for ages, and then he goes to like lick a foot or something. Yeah. Again, you've got another Tarantino staple, which is like feet, and it's just like. Ugh. Yeah, he, he does show feet as much as possible in this, in this one, doesn't he? Yeah, he got a lot of feet in this film. Yeah, it's not really so a good for this, good for you. Yeah, it's good for you. Well done, listeners. No otters, though. No so, otters. No, no sexy otters this time around. Yeah. Now, the second set of girls. This is 14 months later, and it's in Tennessee. Uh, and it's a group of girls, or certainly two or three of them, or three of the four, are working on uh, a Hollywood film that's being made there. That's perfectly plausible because you do get states and counties having like tax breaks to go there. Hence, Baby Driver was shot in Atlanta, for example. So that's plausible. You've got Kim, who is basically a stunt driver. You've got Mary Elizabeth Winstead's character, whose name I've forgotten, uh, Lee. She's kind of the star, one of the stars of the film. You've got Rosario Dawson as Abernathy, who is... I think she's a makeup artist. I think she does the makeup for Lindsay Lohan, she was saying. It's a Lindsay Lohan movie, which dates this film to a long time ago. Lindsay Lohan getting work. Uh, (laughs) I think the last great film was probably Mean Girls. And they they collect Zoe Bell, who's playing herself, and Zoe Bell is a stunt woman. She was uh, the stunt woman for... um, Uh, The Bride. Yeah. Yeah. Other things as well, but that... Um, and she really is the bum note in this because she can't act at all. Like, I see. I didn't all. mind her. I didn't mind her. She's in this. okay, average. Yeah, I, mean, I, I, I can't act, but she was okay playing herself. So I don't think she's average. I think she's horrific. You can tell that she is the non-actor clearly. Yeah, you can definitely. But I mean, what what what, what she lacks in acting ability, she makes up for in in stunt work and stunt well, ability. I, I would hope so, Becca. But the biggest laugh when I saw it at the cinema all those years ago. Similar so. problems to the first lot in that they do seem disproportionately talk about guys and cock and stuff. But, but the dialogue's better though. I felt a lot more. Better. They're, yeah. talking about, they're better actresses, well, or certainly a couple of them. Are, well, Rosario Dawson is given the most to say and she's mm. the best actress of any of the women in this film. Um, so she's pretty good. Kim gets on my tits after a while, but she's okay. Mary Elizabeth Winstead doesn't have an awful lot to say. No, this was like new in her career, really. She was like still. She was very young. Yeah, yeah. she was quite young in her career, definitely. Yeah, she was about twenty-two. I, I, I quite liked her in, in um, Scott Pilgrim. I, think I she was hated like... Scott Pilgrim. Oh, I loved it! I loved it! I loved it! I actually, the I, I actually think it's a, a really bad film. Oh, we'll I love it. But we'll, then we'll, I, 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 we'll, I, I, we'll, I love it. Well, um, I, I love it. Good writers hated anyway. that film. 
Yeah, I, it's very much a Marmite film, but I'm with Becca on this. I mean, I, it's, a, it's a bit of an assault on the senses. I remember taking my dad's going to see it. I, I, actually, I, actually, I actually thought it was unbearable. Yeah, yeah it's, I, a bit, I, it's a bit I, very colourful. I, I hated it. I like the, the DVD characters. and the Blu ray as well. I'm watching it on Blu ray and being like, oh my god, I need to have a break. And then watching <laughs> it on DVD and was like, I, I was so disappointed because it was Edgar Wright and I've loved everything else he's done. Have you read the books though? No. Go read them. But I shouldn't have to, it's a film. I. I will, I will. No, seriously, you will get more enjoyment from it if you didn't. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm not saying the book. Yeah, but if you're saying I might have enjoyed the film less because I haven't read the books, then fuck the film. <laughs> well, that's, <yeah>. all... <laughs> no, that, that's the point, though. I mean, yeah, if yeah. the books are great, the books are great. But if I need the books to enjoy the film, then the film's failed. Well, yeah. no, but, you know, I'm saying there, there are aspects that you can enjoy from both of it, but I, I won't go into the books. Yeah, I know I'm, I'm, I'm in a minority. Yeah, no, it's, it's, like, it's, like, it's like people say when, when you watch the Harry Potter films and it's like, oh, the books are so much better. It's like, okay, yeah, well, I bet they are because they, 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 they throw in more detail because they yeah, can they're, they're, the book. they're like 1,500 fucking pages, yeah. aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah. It's not Pilgrim books. They're very easy reads, so. I am concerned about rewatching Scott Pilgrim because I have come to the realisation and I've not watched it for a good while, that the fact that Scott's, Scott Pilgrim is actually a dick, and I think that might ruin the rest of the film. Problem. Yeah, he, uh, he's, he's a bit of a, he's not your greatest hero. I mean, not, yeah. that, I thought that, not, not that I thought that. Um, well, it back was Michael, then, right? But... Michael Cera, for the, a spell around then, Michael Cera was in everything. So yeah. I was sick of seeing him. The character was an asshole. And yeah. the, the, ways they, the ways they shot the film, and the little tweaks and jokes and sort of pans and everything in it tired me after about two minutes and i don't mean it was an assault on my senses i mean it's like a two minute joke you've worn out the joke now fuck off mm. so you're not really going to go see ready player one then no i'll go see Ready for the same player reasons one. i'm still expecting obviously it minus I'm not, no i'm just not expecting it to be very good i'm seeing it tomorrow so we'll see how it goes <gasps> no, I'm, not expect, I'm not expecting it to be very good because i think fundamentally that's a film that needs uh, a spielberg who's about 30 years younger than he is now He's still a great filmmaker, but I don't think that's a Spielberg film as Spielberg no, is. It does seem a very un-Spielbergian film for him to make, if that makes sense. I do like the poster, though. The poster look, it looks very throwback, but we'll, we'll see how it that does. It'll be fun to spot all the references as well. I'm sure the film like will let you sort of know the well. references. It'll be like... I like, say, like, it's not going to be subtle about it. <laughs> no, Maybe it'll be... Maybe it's because, I don't know, because like the kind of era that Scott Pilgrim kind of covers... Ready Player One covers like Dave obviously because you're, you're a bit old, well you, both of you are older than I am um, but it's more kind of stuff that you've grown up with whereas like Ready Player One uh, not Ready Player One Scott Pilgrim is kind of I mean obviously Scott's but 10 years younger than me um, but it's still the kind of stuff that I've grown up with so we're perhaps a bit more receptive we'll cover it one day maybe, we'll cover but... it one day and I will genuinely watch it with an open mind but for a, a film that everyone was jerking off about I think it is comfortably the worst Edgar Wright film comfortably mm. but we'll come to it later on people listening to this will largely disagree with me because i know i'm in a minority but um it's, it's, it's not perfect but it's, it's one i just enjoyed and i, just, I, would, I, I, would agree I, I, I like to be half interested in the character rather than just it all being fucking visual ticks yeah but i think the point is that he is also a knob <laughs> so he's not meant to be like the best hero fuck that film yeah. <laughs> anyway that just shows so, how much we think of definitely oh anyway let's get back talking to a good film uh oh so back to um, oh. <laughs> <laughs> so they head off there's a lot of them talking the conversation is better the characters are better the actresses playing better. them with the exception of Zoe Bell are better um, but the I had a real problem better, isn't it? They, yeah. their dialogue's better they get to, but when they get to the cafe or wherever it is they go 
and they start talking about the vanishing point car. Oh, all four, all four of them sounded like might have, must could have been played by Quentin Tarantino. They all sounded like him. I just feel yeah. like literally like him. It, it was something I hinted at last week in the Superman's, you know, stuff. That there's a couple of times where I just felt like his dialogue didn't work. Now it's better than the first set of girls, but you got better actresses here. You got Rosario Dawson here, and they're talking about gearheads and vanishing point and all the rest of it. And it, it's Quentin Tarantino stroking his own fucking interests. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really thought this would lose half the audience because most people won't have seen Vanishing Point. Have you guys seen Vanishing Point? I actually haven't. Mm. But I know of it, so it's not like it's like... I haven't seen it. What's Vanishing Point? No, no, I corrected it right afterwards. I saw it. I saw it literally about a month after I saw this. I just think they don't talk... It's not the... It's how they talk about it rather than... Yeah, it's not the subject. Why wouldn't women be interested in cars? There are women fucking race drivers there are women who like action films i'm not and and they're still and they're stunt people as well so you think okay well i don't think i'm inherently making a sexist point here i just don't think it's it doesn't sound like any women i've ever met no the dialogue isn't particularly realistic i would say that's probably my major problem with this film it just sounds like quentin tarantino or four yeah exactly it's like he's, he's not taking time out to write any realistic dialogue i mean i can't say i've doubled a bit in script writing but i would say i would struggle with the dialogue um but I would say, yeah, it's literally, it's just how he thinks all got people would slight, sound. It's all got this slight arch-ironic way of saying things to each other as well. It's, mm. it's None of it flows very naturally. Even Rosario Dawson, who I do rate as a pretty decent actress, when they're talking about, yeah, I just wasn't really that comfortable with any of it. And every time Zoe Bell opened her mouth, I just wanted her to shut up. Because she put this stupid fucking grin on her face as she spoke, like, it reminded me of Karen Allen in uh, the fourth indie film where she's like, I'm just so happy to be here. I've got a speaking <laughs> part. <laughs> um, yeah, but at least it's shorter. We don't have a ton of time watching them do this. They get they get to go in to get the car quite quickly. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's questionable what they do. It's like, yeah, we're just going to excuse to ride it. And you say, okay. Uh, we'll, we'll we'll just ditch our mate Lee with this weird, dotty-looking fella. Yeah, the epilogue to the film would, you know, either the car gets brought back in that state, and then what? Or they don't <laughs> take the car back because it's fucked, and then and then what? It's, I tell you, that's the thing. I, I, I wanted a follow-up. I wanted to see what happens next. <laughs> just uh, like, um, you never guess it, what. His first quote, when Rosario Dawson tries to talk him into letting the car out with them, he says she's an actress, and then he says, "Is it porn?" You just think if that's his first out loud pronouncement, because we might all think it if she's dressed like that. But to say it out loud, you think, "Oh God, what is going to happen to this poor girl?" I know. Um, I mean, like it's, they they do say that they're going to like allude to the fact that she might give him a blowjob, and so when he goes like, "Oh, she porn," he goes like, "Oh, that's my age." You go, "Yes," but don't say that. <laughs> Um, yeah. and then yeah, so when she's he's there standing over her, going, you think, oh, yes, I hell. don't like any of that. <laughs> then of course they take the car, and she, and she wants to play ship's mast. Ship's mast. Yes, yeah. that's her best acting line. It's awful. God, the no, worst best... dialogue in no, this. Best is... acting lines. I'm fine. I quite I, like. I thought, that. I thought that was funny. That was funny. Yeah, but everything from now on, know. you've got uh, Kim, the Kim character. I from here on in, 
she's the the thing that bothers me the most because she doesn't shut the fuck up for the rest of the film, particularly when they start chasing Stuntman Mike. When when the sort of when the balance of power in that chase changes, she's constant like revenge dialogue, mm. and I just think he's completely overcooked that Quentin. But yeah, they start playing ship's mast, and then. Uh, Kurt Russell, who's been following them, chases right after them and rams them right up in the re- in the rear in the non-Tom Cruise way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he kind of like he, he takes a different approach, doesn't he, this time round? Yeah, drives behind them. Right, well, he wants to make more of a sort of fun session of it rather than yeah. one big crash. Um, and she's hanging from the bonnet by two or the hood. They they do have that conversation in the film. They actually. do because obviously she's from Australia. Yeah. Uh, we call it, we call it a body here, which I I freely admit is a really sappy name for it. Mm. Yeah, we we have bonnet and boot at the back, not sort of trunk. Or trunk. Yeah, so um, if this is okay, she's bit, she's clinging on for dear life while he's sort of um, sort of ramming them sort of side on. It, it's okay, this the, stuff. The stunt work is is decent. You have to have to admit. I mean, that, that's really what is probably the selling point is it's one of the things about when quentin's immediately i mean he's got rid of all the scratches he's shooting it on a beautiful day and it's almost like he can't bring himself to damage this he he wanted to but he hasn't done a car chase before not really so it is like it's another string to his bone it, it bow it's another and he said I, I, he wanted to do it to sort of see if he was as good as he thought he was hmm. you know that he wanted to prove he could do a car chase. And I think he's proved it here, actually. It's really pretty good. And it doesn't go on too long. And it does sell me scapes. Because even Kim, who's getting on my tits, she's got, like, tears running down her face. They are genuinely quite traumatised by this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then, yeah, so they... It, it's not really much to say other than the fact that they just, like... It all ends with, like, them sort of both skidding off the road. Yeah, um, I mean, there's some great shots in it because there's a bit where Mike goes off the road. Yeah, you and, don't and see Zoe like fling dust. off, do you? But that, that, no, that. There, there's a bit where um, there's a bit before that where he goes off the road, hmm. and the camera whips back just as he's spinning round to rejoin. And I thought that was a masterful shot. He would have had to talk to the stuntmen a lot to like plan that out. Uh, but yeah, they end up both going off the road. Kurt Russell gets out like that was fun, ladies. Um, and then he drives they shoot him twice uh, once on the top of the arm I think they catch him in the chest as well Yeah. or certainly the shoulder and he drives off in a load of pain and sort of pours whiskey on it and screams and he says why like how did this happen to me which I found quite funny (laughs) he's like why why has this happened to me like you know I was minding my own this has never happened before I mean (laughs) And they get Zoe back in the car. They grab like she grabs like a big sort of metal pole to sort of bash him up with. And I love they drive how their first after. response is like, "We've just survived this horrific attack. Right, let's, let's kill go kill him." <laughs> like I, I, that, yeah. that was like, I'm, I'm, "That's not quite a realistic response." That's not. I suppose unusual. that's an edge to the, that. That is a sort of nod to the exploitation mm. nature of the film. You just make these narrative leaps to put in whatever action sequence you can. But they chase right after him. Um, and as I say, action-wise, I think this is all pretty good. I mean, the the reveal, uh, I mean, he, he forces them off the road at one point and they go over like a raised bit of ground 
And as the camera sort of reveals that they're still there and the music kicks in, it's all really well edited. But I just wanted the Kim character to shut up. I've got you now, motherfucker, and all this sort of thing for about four or five oh, minutes. I'm going to tap you. Oh, I can't let you go till I tap that like, Just shut up. We don't need constant fucking commentary on this. You're talking shit anyway. It's it's not enjoyable, but the action's pretty well shot. And he's terrified, and, and he's going, I'm sorry, I, I didn't mean anything. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I, I, do you not find that the two things, just the two like, sort of parts of the film, kind of just don't really match well together. Like, I would have bought... Because you would describe Death Proof as, a, like, a slasher film, but with a car. Now, yes. I would have thought that you would have spent, like, a considerable amount of, like, the first half of the film setting the characters and seeing him stalk around like he did do in the, in the first part of the film. And then the second part of the film is, like, picking them off one by one, chase, chasing them terrified using his car. I, yeah. I would have thought that would have been, like... The, the, the more typical setup not of the film. Not two completely separate groups of girls and the first group are fucking unlikable twats yeah. anyway. And also the the sort of his it, it, mode wasn't to like you know, the second lot the second lot of girls, it's almost like he's playing with his food. Hmm. The first one it was lights on crash. That was it. It was almost take them by surprise. It almost was like a slasher like appearing out of nowhere. Whereas this one he's sort of like I say he's playing with his food. He's following them for miles and sort of bumping them a bit and then smacking them a little bit more and so on. It is two very different ways of approaching it. Um, just as I don't, in that logic, completely understand why he's got Rose McGowan in the car in the first lot. I, I, maybe it's just a four exposition. This car's death proof because I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I, I think prob- probably. I mean, I did, I did always think, wonder what they do the body, but of course, like the crash, it would have been like, oh, I was taking a home and. Mm. Um. so eventually they um he forces them off the road they take the sort of high road and sort of come in almost under him they sort of come down and sort of just sideswipe him and flip his car mm. they've already she's already sort of beaten him a bit with the, the metal pole a bit earlier when they forced him off the road uh he gets out of the car they drag him out of the car and just punch him repeatedly until he's out and then suddenly they jump in the air and it's the end yeah and yeah, and then Rose McGowan like sort of just like like smashes his face in. Uh, Rosario Dawson, yeah. Yeah, sorry, not Rose McGowan. Um, yeah, she comes back from then, the dead. And then the music over the credits, which I'm not quite sure what it is. I quite liked. I thought yeah. it was quite cool. I was enjoying the credits. And then uh, that is it. That's pretty much death proof. Pretty much the film. Yeah. Well, it's half a one film ish kind of thing. I mean, yeah, it's. There was never going to be much to this episode. No, um, we did get a dee dee dozy beaky McIntyre reference. You mentioned a couple of podcasts ago. So I know. Yeah, uh, there's a fun fact for you. There, she right? pronounced it Mitch, so I'm like, you're not much of a fan, then, are you? No, she obviously can't pronounce it properly. So, no. I mean, I, I get. I guess you got the thing about the the like the the people who are his match are actual stunt drivers or stunt type people. So it's like stuntman might actually versus stunt lady. So it's probably that element. I think that's probably what enticed Tarantino to do with the two halves, two different things. I don't know, but it's just I don't think it's very well thought out. But then again, you got to think at the time, it was based on uh, like a, a B movie grindhouse thing. Anyway. Yeah, and and they do have strange narrative leaps, and they do have like yeah. you know a 
sometimes quite like hastily written dialogue, let's put it that way. And it's an attached um, to film, so it would it would play differently anyway. So it's no like, oh well, this has to work on its own. It's like, no, this is a companion piece. This kind of like it's like two little. It's like it's like you say, get two little short fun films. Um, yeah, you know, and a slight change of pace from the previous one, which was a which was a lot more sort of lot a bit higher octane. Funnily enough, yeah, um, to use a car analogy, but um, it. You know, I I still don't really know what they were thinking, but I, I just, you know, it, it plays like a self-indulgent in-joke that they, they understand the format they're going for. They understand these old exploitation films. They understand uh, the whole double bills with trailers in between. They understand, you know, double bills in like flea pit cinemas from year before, years before. Yeah. They understand that there are film prints still going around the country playing in like little shitty cinemas where they're scratched to shit. I mean, I've seen them of, of well-known films where, you know, I used to go to the Mac in Birmingham and I'd see like Manhattan, the Woody Allen film, but the print was fucking ancient. So it was scratched to fuck and stuff like that. Um, but the audience isn't going to get that. And the film was made for, I don't know, something like 50 to $60 million, which isn't massive, but it's big enough. It's got to perform. Um, and it just didn't. And I, I can see why it didn't. I mean, unless, unless you are bought in by the name recognition of either the directors, and that's going to be limited no matter who you are, just name recognition, because even big directors have flops now and again. Or you're brought in by like a Kurt Russell. Like you want to go and see the new Kurt Russell film. Well, Tarantino said at the time, Kurt Russell's career wasn't exactly in the toilet, but he was doing a lot of not particularly badass stuff. So he created his badass role for him. Well, he wasn't opening films just by himself, you know, as a no. name, Kurt Russell, let's go and see the Kurt Russell film. That Whether he ever did is questionable. He kind of sort of quieted down his career. I mean, think the only film I can think he was doing at time, around that same time was Poseidon and that was it. It was. He, I don't. I don't think he's done much since, other than the Fast and Furious films. Yeah, I mean, I just call up his filmography now and just look about ten years ago. Yeah, I mean, you've got very little. I mean, if I look at this century, he had a pretty sizable role in Vanilla Sky, which is a film I think is criminally underrated. But I know a lot of people don't like it. And then you, you're right. You've got Poseidon. And then, I, then he does another film that year called Cutlass. Didn't do anything for four years. And then there's nothing for a couple more years. So, yeah, I mean, between this and Fat Furious 7, there's like four things. Mm. And one of those is a short film. So suddenly he's got busier again in the last couple of years. He's actually made, I mean, Death Proof, then a short film, then two longer films, three longer films, then Furious 7, and they're eight years apart. And then since Furious 7, he's done five films. One of which was um, Tomahawk, Hateful Eight, Deepwater Horizon, The Fate of the Furious, Guardians of the Galaxy 2. So he's been busier in the last few years, certainly. But yeah, yeah, around here he was doing nothing. So you're very unlikely, no studio thinks, well, it'll open massive because we've got Kurt Russell in it. Certainly, as much as I've got immense respect for the guy. So I don't know how they thought this was going to be a big film because even, even critics... Even if they completely understood what they were trying to do, did they think they were going to get a mass of critical raves for this? Particularly when they're cutting out reels and having bits that don't make sense and deliberately cheap effects and scratches. And the average audience would go to this and go, What the fuck is this? <laughs> um, 
but they didn't even get that far. It's not even like big opening weekend, then poor word of mouth. It was weak opening, weak performance overall. Mm. Hugely disappointing, and just that's a final thought from me, really. That I, I look at this film and just don't know what they were thinking to even bother. It, it, you know, it's almost like if you had money to waste, it's almost like you'd make a little cheap movie for your family and friends or something. Not a big budget film to put out into the world because there's no market for this. There just isn't. Some some films can. I mean, next week we're going to cover a film that's only thirty percent in the English language. And it performed really well, but that that's quality. That's just quality transcending, you know, expectations because there's not necessarily a, a market for a film that's mostly in French and German, to mm. be fair. Um, but the film's so good, it doesn't fucking matter. You know, on first viewing, both films played poorly by themselves. Death Proof almost played worse because there was no real sense of fun in it. And all the characters were just terrible, with the exception of Stuntman Mike, who I think would stand comparison with with any Quentin Tarantino character, or at least any Quentin Tarantino archetype, I suppose, more than a character, because we don't learn much about him. Would you rather see Stuntman Mike in a better film? Yeah, definitely. I just think, you know, he's had his opportunity. Kurt Russell, who is a bit of an icon in his way, there are bigger ones, but he is a bit of an icon, got to be in a Tarantino film, and it was this. And I, I think that's a real shame. I wish, Tar- I mean, he, I forgot he was in The Hateful Eight, actually, uh, bizarrely, because I quite like The Hateful Eight, and he's quite a big character in it. But when I watched this at the time, I do remember thinking, well, he, he would have been, he could have been like Vincent Vega, for example. It would have been different. You this and then did Hateful Eight first. We can't do it first because it was after, but I mean, well, I know, but you know, so instead say, of, say, for example, should his, yeah, instead of even, you know. I just think if Tarantino comes calling, if you're interested in the work that man does, you say yes, particularly when he describes the character to you and he's, you're going to play this stuntman Mike character and you've got this car that's quite, you know, going to be quite iconic and stuff. I can see why everybody would say yes to this. I, I, I would, as a, as a working actor, I, I can't imagine saying no to Quentin Tarantino. I think I think most actors would be like, would pretty much have that idea. It's like, yeah, well, whatever, just just for the sake of saying, well, I work with work with Tarantino. Yeah, I know, you know, and they, you do you do sort of, you know, they do start ticking them off who they've worked with, you know, and it's like I got to work with Ridley Scott, I got to work with Martin Scorsese, I got to work with Quentin Tarantino, and his name is in that sort of pantheon now that he's one of those that you want to say you work with Mm. not necessarily to the exclusion of other people i'm not saying actors are out there going i must work with quentin tarantino but he would be in that list of people christopher nolan would be there now as well i I would say now dennis villeneuve is coming into that sort of realm just about uh he doesn't have quite the same recognition name recognition as a nolan or a tarantino but you know he's starting to move into rarefied air Mm. that the stuff he puts out is distinctive and high quality and people are like i want to work with that so i can see why people work with it um i saw grindhouse together as i said earlier about two and a half years afterwards when it was released as a blu-ray i'm with chris but i'm not with chris in that today if i have to watch death proof i'd rather watch it on its own than with grindhouse because the whole experience just wears out it's welcome now or you can watch grindhouse but the grindhouse just last I get, yeah, I get that. But the point is, I feel like I'm watching half a film then. Because mm. It's just, that's just the way I am. I, I, yeah, I, no I, I do think it's it still, I think it works as a better film because it's still 90 minutes. And it's, I, I don't think it that has a. It is, but I'm not like you put in Grindhouse and just watch the second half yeah, of it. Okay. That's a weird thing with me. But certainly, as a one off experience, if I'd had to watch either Grindhouse or Death Proof, 
in its full cut, I would still take the longer, the shorter cut of Death Proof, but the longer cut of the two things. Because when you see them together, what Rodriguez did with him actually sort of contextualizes the whole thing better than Death Proof does on its own. Because it doesn't quite play like a Grindhouse film after the halfway point, mm. even though it's got some of the flaws of Grindhouse films like real shitty dialogue and quite lazy plotting. I still really struggle that Tarantino ever made this. There are better there are filmmakers that are as famous as him that have made probably worse films than this, I'm sure, and at least there's a terrific car chase in it that actually showcases the man's talent. But this was an in-joke between two guys that frankly, I don't know if they've been drinking, but it's one of those where like you you have a silly idea over a few drinks and a few films and when you wake up in the morning you go maybe that wasn't such a great idea not let's fucking do it and mm. that's where i am with this film a complete waste of my time and a, a disappointment after last week as well because kill bill 2 is a far 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 better film than this there's no doubt but i didn't love it and i don't love this either so by the time we get to next week's film i am desperately looking for a renaissance from this guy because by 2008 i thought maybe he might be finished yeah there was definitely a, a thing about uh inglory that was everyone was still excited by tarantino and there was still like hype and expectations but had um inglory's bastards not performed or was disappointing, that probably would have been it for Tarantino. He wouldn't have been quite the same. I think he might have already always still got things funded, but you know, I don't think it's as I don't think it's as dramatic as the example I'm going to give now. But um, because that got, the guy I'm about to name's fall from grace is just far far steeper. But it's a bit like M. Sha- Night Shyamalan. If M. Night Shyamalan had never made a film after Unbreakable arguably signs arguably the village but certainly unbreakable we'd be going what a fucking talent that guy was whatever happened to him but then he released signs which a lot of people like i wasn't fond of then he released the village which most people hate and i like and then everything after that i like the village as well but yeah i quite enjoyed it too but i've never seen it after the first go to no me neither right actually but (laughs) i don't want to ruin it because i know it's not thought to be good and i enjoyed it no, and it was also awesome. his was it, was it leaving the water or something? Oh, that was I, I, pants. Bryce Dallas Howard was wonderful in the village as well, and I just really oh, yeah, she was fantastic. It. But everything he made after that, admittedly, I've not seen Split yet, but everything he made after that was pretty shit to one degree or another. To the point that, like, um, when he made After Earth, you watch a trailer for After Earth, his name's not mentioned. It, it's one of those that you sneak a film out he makes now and don't mention it's him. Unless it's got some link to something better like Unbreakable, like you might do with Split or something. Um, Tarantino was in danger, I think, at this point of another one or two. And it would have been what happened to this once amazing filmmaker. He he still would have got money and he still would have made films. Mm. That's what I mean. He would have lost that kind of of, credibility and that sort of um, uh, critical darling, Mm. which he still got. I mean... People have problems with Tarantino. People do say, oh, his films are too long, they're too self-indulgent or whatever. But he is still seen as a very special filmmaker. But he he almost had to rebuild after this, even though this was deliberate. And I'm sure he made what he wanted to make. And he's not lost any of his talent. It's not like a misfire. This is almost deliberate. But yeah, the three films that he followed this with, whatever their flaws, 
I've certainly like restored him. And and this 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 and Kill Bill Two are like a lull in the middle of his career for me. Yeah, and I think that that's probably what what it what it felt like at the time. I mean, I in regards to this, it kind of felt like they went in half arse thinking, yeah, it's just going to be a bit of fun. That's the sort of attitude we should have. Whereas they probably should have like both him and Rodriguez should have gone their separate ways, put in put in a hundred percent in making like the best possible film and then just stick it together as like a an old school double, a double feature. Bill, as opposed to one film. I mean yeah. A, a and then and you can and that opens up you can sell it as 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 suppose single films or you can have like uh, on, and for a special evening Grindhouse double film. Well yeah. it's like for most of its life the original version of the Wicker Man, the nineteen seventy three yeah. film, has been double billed with Don't Look Now. Hmm. The Donald Sutherland yeah. film. They're very different films, but they they kind of I don't know if you've seen them both, you guys, but yeah. if you if you watch them, they both make you feel the same way. Like they don't they aren't that similar to each other, but they evoke the same feeling in you watching them. They're vaguely unsettling and kind of yeah, a bit bleak in their way as well. So don't look now, and um, the Wicker Man, and the Wicker Man goes first in that double bill, I believe. Yeah, it's very belong, much belong together. Now, the making of those two films had nothing to do with each other. One was made by Robin Harley, the other one was made by Nicholas Rogue, I think. Yep. Not written together, not not, but they belong together now to the degree that when I watch one, I watch the two together. But the other film that occurred to me when I watched this was um, Ocean's Twelve. You know, Ocean's Eleven was a really good, fun film. The night, the mm. two thousand and one version with George Clooney and all the rest of it. And when I heard they were doing a sequel and it was going to be European sent and Vincent Cassell was going to be in it, I thought this would be really good. And then you watched it and for all the world, it looked like all the actors had got on so well on the first film that they wanted to go on holiday together. So they all went to like fucking Clooney's place, pissed around for a few months and made a film while they were there. And Ocean's Eleven feels like self-indulgent wankery and so does this. Yeah, I can't really add to that really. Um, unfortunately, you can see the split, um, which is... A bit annoying, but yeah, I, I kind of get the impression that um, I think of the two, the, the um, Plant Terror was probably like the most favoured film. Um, and here, Tarantino is is limited to his detriment by by sort of genre trappings, unfortunately. Um, I think Zoe Bell stands out as a, as more of a stunt woman, obviously. Um, Kate Russell was the best thing in it. I can't really add more to what's been said already, um, other than it's quite a short film and that plays in its favour, unfortunately. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, to be lots of the long ones that Tarantino has made, bloody hell. In comparison to the, to both the Grindhouse features, I think probably Planet Terror is probably the most accessibly like forgettable, but you can you can watch it uh, and it, and it, and it's a funner experience. But it's very very throwaway and and derivative. Whereas this Death Proof is a bit more of a challenge, though you can see better filmmaking in it but as a whole it is a bit more challenging and it doesn't work in the same way so but then again there is a, there are certain moments of quality that ele- elevate it so it's, it's one of those things which ones which do you prefer do you prefer the quality or do you just prefer like just the the more pleasurable experience shall we say i don't know i, I don't know i'm kind of in between what well, which is which film is better but I was unequivocal to start with. I mean, Planet of Terror was so much more fun as a first-time mm. watch. But now, because it is such a B-movie, it's like, why would I watch this kind of almost Roger Cormany type thing? 
why would I bother? Whereas Death Proof is at least a real high quality filmmaker at work, mm. but it, it's just not good amongst his other work. No, it, it, it's really not. I mean, I, 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 that first, particularly the first thirty minutes when you getting to know the first lot of girls is high octane texting. But it just, I just found myself actually just you know you just mentally switch off. I think I'm bored. I'm really, I just don't care. Yeah. I'm like, I'm, okay, uh, no, I'll try, I'll try and, I'll try and engage, I'll try and engage, and I just find myself just drifting off because there's nothing keeping me here. There's mm. nothing. So that, I, that the film really suffers with. But there you go. It needed to be the second set of girls and a completely retooled plot as yeah. to how he engaged it, with them. Like, like Chris suggested, I've never thought about other ways to do this film. Yeah. But 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 almost like picking them off might have been a bit better. I don't know. Yeah, because you could you could have had like. A larger group, and then you could have like initial crash, and then, and then, and then be like another set of girls like their thing. I wonder where they were. And they, he picks them off one by one in like in a car, or he tries to do it again. It doesn't quite work, so he has to chase them. There could be there's ways of doing it. There's ways. Yeah, and and of course that's like done at night in the middle of nowhere. They got nowhere to you know. Have we got this? Have we have we got this up to an acceptable fucking running time? <laughs> well, we're about like as well, as long as the grindhouse version, anyway. So, yeah. all right, um, do we, can we learn any more about this pile of fucking shit, Becca? <laughs> Unfortunately, we can. Yay! Um, also, I think it was Kurt Russell's birthday yesterday, seventeenth of March. How old is Kurt Russell? Um, I would say mid sixties. Okay, in other words, you don't know. I don't actually, no. <laughs> No, I wondered if it had come up on the when you read that fact. I'm gonna love fifty. What he is? He's, he's if it was his birthday yesterday, he turned sixty-seven yesterday. Sixty-seven. That was it. Okay. I'm rubbish at anything like that, unfortunately. Um, so I've got a couple of fun facts, not very fun, not very factage, but never mind. Um, in the extended cut of this movie, the f bomb is dropped 148 times. Um, fun fact number two. Um, yeah, we, we obviously we talked about the amount of editing. Um, and scratching of this film. Um, he admitted in an interview with a UK film magazine that he over-tweaked his film, but he was still kind of proud of it. Um, fun kind fact number of. three. Kind of. Well, <laughs> the yeah. critics rave! Yeah. Well, given, well, given that Tarantino loves everything he does, then I'm pretty sure I was going to say, this is a man who thinks he's a genius, and frankly, mm. I kind of agree. So he gets a lot more um, latitude from me saying that shit, because like, I, I kind of think he means it with quite a good heart under it all, and his career has kind of backed it all up. So when he's going, yeah, I guess it's all right. You know, even he knows it's shit. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, he's got that kind of some um, seed of doubt mm. looking at the back of his brain. Um, so as Dave mentioned earlier in the podcast, the original name for this film was Quentin Dino's Thunderbolt. And I think I mentioned it in the fun fact in one of the other podcasts. Yes, like, like Thunderbolt. Thunderbolt. <laughs> <laughs> so fun fact number four. Amy, the jukebox, is the same one as seen in Natural Born Pillars, and was also owned by Quentin Tarantino, and the tracks upon it were handwritten by him. Obviously, the, the labels showing the tracks, not the tracks themselves, obviously. Um, and for fact number five, we mentioned Cheryl Ladd. Um, yeah, Jordan Ladd's mum, Cheryl Ladd, starred in Charlie's Angels with Shirley Hack, and Hack also starred in a made TV film, Death Car on the Freeway, which features a serial killer murdering women with his car. She was a TV um, actress, that's well, all I'm yeah, that's there's, no, I mean, there's no shame in that. No, exactly not. Uh, but all I'm saying is that occasionally when I... She's the go-to actress when I see something on the big screen that's should be on TV. a bit worthy that should be on TV. And Erin Brockovich was like exhibit A, because I remember seeing it, big screen, 
and my mum saying to me afterwards, what was it like? Because she was interested in seeing it. And I said, it's a TV film. I, I said, if you took that cast out of it, it would be on like the Lifetime channel with Cheryl Ladd. I remember saying that. Um, and that's that, kind that of sort of quality, actress though? Was Sorry? Well, that, did that match in, in its quality? Um, Rock on um, sure. I, I, I've seen it once. I just remember thinking it was a, a worthy enough subject and a worthy enough idea, but it was a TV film. It was a TV film with A-list stars in it. Mm. Moving on, where can we be all found at the social media? Oh, shit, we're on social media already. Fucking hell. First, I <laughs> might see it really slowly, Chris. <laughs> you can. <laughs> PastyKid1976 on Twitter. Uh, you can find me at Cinematrox on Twitter. Uh, you can also find the, the shows, which aren't on iTunes anymore, the original Bond series. But you can still find them at cinematrix.co.uk. So there is actually a point of saying the website now, which I've always thought was pointless. Oh, there you are. But we have we are, we are losing those episodes. But I honestly think we'll end up doing Bond again one day because the the idea is taking seed in my head now. It's like we do them again. <laughs> but it'll be it'll be fucking years away though because there's so many series I do want to do. But um, yeah, we've got all the westerns yeah. first. So yeah. Yeah, we'll do all the westerns first. Don't forget. <laughs> well, Marvel's going to take us about six months. Oh Christ! No, um, I am actually looking forward to doing Marvel movies. So am I. So am I. But that always happens when I get towards the end of a series. My my brain starts shifting to the next one. I'm still. I loving... hope it doesn't st- turn into another Star Star Wars. I hope Star it doesn't Trek. turn into another Star Trek. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we all really enjoyed it because I know there was a lot of them, but it's just the fact they kind of went from they went down in quality. The films sure. weren't that great on average. No, but I think Marvel, um... for example, there's there's a couple of them that are blips minor blips maybe but generally they're all pretty much of no, the same quality right. yeah not only that you've got different leads each week and and slightly and, uh, yeah. different tones and different different subgenres whereas star trek the, i mean the last few films with a couple of exceptions weren't very the good the thing is we were all feeding off each other because like I, I i sensed you weren't enjoying it becca so i was enjoying it less and I was glad. Oh, sorry, but, did I bring you all down? No, not at all. I'm just, just saying. I wasn't example, familiar with them. No, I'm just saying you weren't enjoying it. No, I wasn't enjoying it. I'm, Chris it, was kind of like. It's a natural a vibe, bored. isn't it? It's like a. It's know. just a vibe, yeah. It's just. Whereas Bond, I mean, Bond, we're Bond fans anyway, but like, if there were 37 Bond films or 50 Bond oh. films, we'd have gone through all of them happily. And I think Marvel will be like that. I don't think I'll have the slightest problem with it. Star Trek is this very singular thing, and the films are of patchy quality compared to a lot of the TV stuff, anyway. And and uh, the best the best Star Trek films are the original crew, they they are. So you, you're through all the best stuff in the first six weeks, and you've still got like however many weeks to go. In fact, we did 19 episodes, if you count trailers and uh, uh, sorry commentaries and that. We did two commentaries from the original crew. Which means after eight weeks, we were done with the original f- film. We still had 11 weeks to go, and we'd done all the best films. That was the problem. Whereas, you know, Marvel is, is much more sort of a little bit up and down, but it's not up and down too wildly either. Even bad Marvel films are all right. On that note, you can find us on Twitter at Expect Us to Talk. You can drop us an email at expectustotalk at gmail.com. Um, you can find us on YouTube, Expect Us to Talk. But obviously, we've begun losing our. Um, James Bond videos on there. Um, we are, as Chris said, obviously. No, you, no YouTube's okay. fine. Everything's on YouTube. Oh, just iTunes. It's just it's Sorry. iTunes and Stitcher. Basically, yes. that you only get the last. I think it's about seventy-five episodes. Mm. So obviously, every time we add one that's over that seventy-five number, we use we lose a an early one. So somewhere in the next couple of weeks, the last of the original Bond run will disappear. 
Mm. Although we're still, although we're still doing commentaries and stuff. Though, as you say, you can get it from cinematronics.co.uk, or you can get it from YouTube. And if and if you need the audio, you can strip the audio from there. The only thing is, you won't get many of the music episodes because it just gets blocked. And also, if you have any difficulty whatsoever, you just tweet us. We'll probably send you like a link or something. We'll be like, yeah, there you are. Yeah, we'll be able to send you them. We, we can provide them to you. So. We'll send you. We'll, we'll give you the uh, the MP3 file directly. Maybe <laughs> yeah. we, we could do like now playing and do like a bumper CD or something like that, and just and yeah. charge a tenner. Or proceeds yeah. will go to charity or something. Uh, they like charged that. a lot more than a tenner. Trust well, I know they did. Yeah, they charged a hell of a lot more than a tenner, but. Um, what yeah, we, we like? could do something like that, for example, it. and we'll give the proceeds to it charity. Was, it was fine, but they, um, they yeah, they, they charged quite a lot of money. They, they charged, charged a lot of money, actually. Um, but uh, the other thing, they, they did interviews and everything. They made quite a big deal around their fifth anniversary, and again, at they, they got a book out. Well, they had a book out as well, didn't they? They crowdfunded a book, mm. which they got John Carpenter to do the forward for. Yep. Um, I've got a copy of that. I did. I did kick in for that. I've got an e-copy of it. Mm. Um, but yeah, no. Anytime you want an old episode, that most of them are on YouTube. You can get them from the website, or come and talk to us, and we'll get you the link. We're very hospitable. Yeah, we're just desperate. Let's be honest. We want some friends. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, folks. So I am so so relieved to be through this film because I was a little bit worried about talking about it because there's nothing to talk about. That's the worst thing. At least with Kill Bill too. This this. You know, fair bit to talk about there. Even and even that, I found a little thin. But um, next week we are, and there's no spoiler in this. We are getting to my favourite Quentin Tarantino film, which means Becca. Do you expect to talk or return for Inglorious Bastards? <laughs>